sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. There's just so much constant communication. And, you know, the first thing that I was focused on, of course, was the health and safety of the people on my team. And that inherently wanted me to check in with people constantly, have phone calls, Zoom calls, and also right away establish boundaries like, hey, if you don't feel like showing your face on Zoom, that's fine. If you need to move this one-on-one, all good. You know, if if you wanna just hop on a call, like really give people space. I think that that was a really important part of the transition as well. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul, and that was Alex Smith. Alex is the Global Sales Development Manager at Headspace. That's right, Headspace, the mindfulness and meditation app. And I have to admit that until I met Alex, I had never thought about Headspace selling into the enterprise, and that's just what they do. Alex had a very unconventional path to her current position, lots of adventures, many of which we're going to get into. And in retrospect, some of them, like living and working in an ashram, well, they definitely foreshadowed what she's doing today. In fact, Alex did something that I think more sellers should do, which is go out and experience the world before diving into your sales career. Go explore, meet a range of people who aren't like you. And you'll learn how to connect with people with whole different perspectives and experiences, and it'll help you to be more human and to have more interesting conversations with strangers, which is our business. So stick around. This is another great conversation. Before we get to Alex, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, Andy. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're excited to have you here. So where have you been hanging out during all the goings-ons here? So, uh, I actually recently just got back from a trip from Mammoth and I visited there for the very first time. And it was such a special trip camping for a week, no service trails, hiking waterfalls. It was incredible. And I definitely needed it too. Cause I feel like it was the first time that my partner and I have, I can't even remember, have taken a trip just together one-on-one him and I. So it was definitely very needed and a very successful trip. Oh, good. Now, did you like meet right before, right before the shutdown or? (laughs) Oh, so actually I met my partner back when I was living in San Francisco and, uh, I was taking some time actually out of being in the corporate sales world and 
during that time in San Francisco, I was teaching yoga full time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had met my partner through yoga, through one of the other teachers that I worked with. And definitely one of those situations where we meet once, we haven't stopped hanging out. And now we're going on being together for the last four years. Wow. Okay. I know. <laughs> I know. Starting to get serious. I mean, you went on a camping trip. Hey, everything gets serious Big during step. quarantine, I've noticed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, my wife and I noticed that. that uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we we had never spent that much time together. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people. With, with one of us travel out without one of us traveling. Um, yeah, ever since I, we'd been together. So it was like, uh, she went back, had to go back to New York a week ago for her job. And it was like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I maybe we haven't been apart for a long time. So, yeah. 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 Um, well, uh, so let's, we're going to talk about you. Okay. And everybody's <laughs> favorite subject. And I find it really interesting. So you're at Headspace. And for people who don't know Headspace, I mean, it's on my phone. I know it's on millions and millions of phones. So tell people what Headspace is. Yes. So Headspace is a health and happiness company. And that sounds obviously very broad, but we provide resources and solutions for mental health support, specifically through uh, meditation is what we've been known for. A lot of people don't even realize that Headspace has actually been around for 10 years, but really, mm. um, you know, mindfulness and, and meditation and alternative ways of discovering your own healthy habits uh, is one of the reasons why Headspace has become, you know, very uh, popular for people right now. And obviously a really oh, yeah. And, yeah. And a very um, important partner too, that's always available. Um, specifically in some of these most trying times that we're in, but yeah, I've, I've, I've ramped up my use of it, uh, in the last six months. I mean, I, I hate to mention a competitor, but I use both headspace and calm. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I know people swear by it. I, mean, I remember being, even before the pandemic, I remember, uh, talking to a guy who's a friend, he's a president of a, was VP at a very well-known tech company, big tech company, and moved to be president of a startup. And I remember talking to him about, you know, kids and you know, moving and you know, all this pressure being a startup and said, you know, how do you do it all? And he says, yeah, 20 minutes a day on Headspace. Nice. Love to hear that success story. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, other amazing companies that are out there that are very much focused on you know, the idea of obviously helping people to improve their health and happiness. So I always encourage people to, you know, look around and see what works best for them. But I'm, of course, I'm so happy to hear that you did 20 minutes of headspace. That's great. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, him. I, I, I sort of like do like five minutes at a time. So five minutes, something, 10 minute meditation. And then, uh, one thing I like on calm is they have these breathing exercises that I, I really like. Um, but yeah, yeah, I cycle through those and, yeah, the last uh, six months have been good times to use them. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a really a special time, 
for us as an organization to be supportive to our community members and provide them with other resources and tools in order to help address a lot of the challenges that we're facing in our day-to-day lives right now. And so it's really also even pushed us as an organization outside of the box and thinking of new ways that we can partner with even other amazing people like John Legend, who just started with us. Name dropping. Yes. uh, With our new chief, uh, as our new chief music officer, which is incredible and the focus playlist, right? So there's a little bit of everything for everybody on there. If, you know, meditation is something that, you know, some people maybe you're not ready to explore yet, or, um, there's a lot of different types of, of content that can help you, um, introduce yourself to different ways of thinking and operating. Yeah. Yeah, No, I urge people to have these on their phone. Um, but you're you're on you sell the business though, right? Yes. So so I found that fascinating as as when you and I first met or I first heard of you and before we actually had met. And I was I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I know a headspace, but they sell to businesses as well. So tell us what you sell to companies. Yes. Andy, I also had the same reaction to um, you know, when I discovered that they had a B2B side of headspace that was really interesting to me. You know, when I saw the job posting that they were looking for a sales development manager, I thought, what do they need a sales manager for? I'm already paying for it, you know? <laughs> right. So I you know, of course I was excited to take the call and, and learn more about what Headspace was trying to accomplish and you know, essentially where we are now is, you know, we were like the startup within the the startup for a little while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're obviously, you know, excited that we're going to continue to invest resources. But essentially what Headspace is doing now is that we are providing an enterprise mental health solution to organizations to help partner with HR teams to improve the health and happiness of their workforce. And it's customized. Uh, it's data driven. We do leadership workshops. Um, this is obviously all inclusive to, of course, employees um, having access to headspace provided by their employer. Mm-hmm. So my team, the sales development function, um, we are sitting in the UK, we're sitting in North America, and we are continuing to expand, but essentially our role is to introduce this enterprise mental health solution to organizations. And to, of course, partner with them and continue to develop our, our, our products and enterprise solution. Interesting. So give us a, like, what's the ideal customer profile for, for you guys for on the B2B side? It's really hard to say right now. You know, if, if you have a workforce that is in need of any sort of mental health solution, which I believe at this point in time, if you are operating, you qualify. Uh, so I think that, you know, we're obviously still figuring out, but we have been very, you know, successful um, in the organizations that we've been partnering so far with, like Google is someone that we have partnered with. And um, as far as the ideal customer profile, it really just depends on what the organizational needs are. But at this point in time, we're really kind of still figuring it out. Of course, we have some strategic ideas that we think would be great with certain organizations, but it's a little too early to tell. And the great thing about mental health is like it doesn't discriminate. There's not like a one-size-fits-all or a profile for people who qualify for something like this. It is literally for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, off the top of my head and and – not because this is a sales podcast, but I would think <laughs> I've been on this kick for a while. Is, is I think any organization with a sizable sales organization would be an ideal 
prospect for this because you ever watch the show Billions? No, I've never seen it before, but I have heard of it. So about a hedge fund, high-pressure trading environment, and one of the key employees is an on-staff psychiatrist, a mental health professional. But when the traders hit a slump, when they're, you know, personal doubts, you know, lose their confidence, whatever, go have a consultation at, in the office. I'm like, and you see this on sports teams, right? Professional sports teams. They've got staff, you know, psychologists and, you know, sports psychologists and so on. And, and you know, these are all performance-based organizations. And so sales is a performance-based profession. And yet we spend so little time focused on that aspect of it, the mental health and the mindsets and so on. Definitely. I would say that um, Headspace is definitely very appealing to that particular part of the organization. I mean, I know from firsthand having a career in sales that this is something that no doubt a lot of the, I guess, stereotypes that you would think about when you think of sales organizations could absolutely use a dose of uh, a break, meditation, mindfulness, pausing, because, you know, if you work in sales, your time is money, money's time, you know, you're on the clock, you're, you're grinding, you're doing what you need to do to get to where you need to go. And oftentimes everything else falls on the second and third and fourth priority after, you know, hitting your goals. So I definitely hear you on that. And I do think that this is attractive to sales organizations. And that was a no brainer when I first joined the the team, I thought that that was a huge opportunity. And then of course, you know, being in this position, I've been able to learn so much more about all the other departments, but also receive a tremendous amount of stress in the type of work that they do. Well, and I think obviously it's magnified during the, the shutdown period. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm sure you've experienced it. I've experienced it. I mean, I look at my wife's work where, yeah, you know, she's basically eight to five on zoom, which is just nuts. Right. Cause every little, Definitely. I used to pass you in a hallway you know, <laughs> exchange has now become a scheduled zoom meeting. And, um, yeah. And I think just in general in America, we're famous worldwide for being obsessed with work. Absolutely. I think that reigns true. I, you know, took some time away from the corporate world and I traveled abroad for a year solo by myself in South America and visited, Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, Peru, and Colombia. And when you travel and you spend that kind of time away from America, you learn very quickly the things that are part of our culture that are not necessarily normal or other ways. Essentially, you learn that there's actually other ways to operate. But to your point, it's just very much embedded in our culture in America. Yeah, well, I think you learn other places that you know, happiness is not based on possessions. No doubt about that. So connection, experience, joy, and moving at a slower pace. So we don't miss the moment and we're present with the people that we love and the things that we're doing. And it's so interesting because I'm sure that we can all, you know, think of a time, if not literally 10 minutes ago, where we, you know, might be multitasking and we're not as present in that one-on-one with that person we're talking to or that scheduled Zoom call that you've been on for, you know, eight hours. So it's just something interesting that that we learn. So question for you then with your team. Well, first of all, like roughly how big is your your team? Well, my team is so teeny tiny right now. I have five people on my team. And I take it when the shutdown happened, yeah, everybody's working from home. How'd that go for you? So it definitely brought us so much closer 
And this was one of those moments where I was actually thankful. I'm used to, you know, at some of the organizations I've worked at, I've managed uh, 20 SDRs. Uh, and we had, you know, 11 SDR teams globally. And so that mm-hmm. type of demand to do remotely would have been so much scarier than obviously um, what is being managed right now with my team at Headspace. And so, you know, in the beginning, there's just so much constant communication. And, you know, the first thing that I was focused on, of course, was the health and safety of the people on my team. And that inherently wanted me to, you know, check in with people constantly, have phone calls, Zoom calls, and also right away establish boundaries like, hey, if you don't feel like showing your face on Zoom, that's fine. If you need to move this one-on-one, all good. You know, if if you want to just hop on a call, like really give people space. I think that that was a really important part of the transition as well is giving people space to be able to get themselves set up um, in a place where they feel like they can succeed and they're in a headspace, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that's also very positive as well. And that is a process. And they talk a lot about, you know, everything that's been happening with COVID. And I can relate it to the stages of grief. You know, in the beginning, it was you know, absolute chaos and then anger and then, you know, acceptance and, you know, you just go through these different phases. And I felt like we were all going through that together. And so I have really focused so much more on just the people part of the job. And when, when I focused on that, we were able to for sure navigate the rest of the stuff. Um, that's, you know, work in some sense almost felt like a safety net, not to say that it was easy, but there were so many other hard things that were going on externally that I felt like that was the most important place Mm -hmm. for me to support and focus. And so your customers during this time interested is like, is this, yeah, something you could think, well, okay, this is kind of discretionary maybe not top priority. Or have they said, no, actually we're pretty aware of what's going on with our people that that actually having a resource like this and offering this type of resource to our employees is actually more urgent now than it was back in January. Absolutely. You know, for the people that reached out to us for support during this time, they were absolutely uh, looking for ways in which that they can support their employee population. And of course we were incredibly grateful to be, you know, what we would consider almost a first responder when things really started to, you know, get a bit more challenging uh, those first couple weeks of March when everything started to shut down. And so the conversations that we're having with people are very real because they're about people's health and people's safety. And also with a lot of companies, you know, having to do furloughs and layoffs, like we are there to support them in all of these really challenging decisions or tough conversations that they're facing with the people that they're, you know, essentially, um, you know, providing for. So it was, it it was incredibly humbling. And it was also very therapeutic to connect with strangers over the phone too, when people were also so scared that they were, you know, like, when are we ever going to go out again? So we'd get on the phone with some of these strangers and have these very vulnerable conversations. And I just thought it was such a, such a special moment to meet other people in. So Getting on the phone with customers or prospective customers? Both. Uh, and when I say, you know, members is mm-hmm. how we refer yeah. to the people who right. are um, onboarded our Headspace for Work products. But I would say prospects, customers, people in general. Interesting. So 
do you prescribe for companies you know when they buy subscription do you also have like hey here's how we suggest you use it here's a program to follow here's how you can roll this out to your employees how do you how do you onboard people internally in something like this that you know it's not like hey it's not like CRM system where you got to use it for your job right. it's it's like a I don't call it a perk but it's you know what I mean it's so how do you, how do they how do you help the people the companies that that purchase this from you how do you help them I said onboard their own people that's that's always you know something that our company is working on as far as like adoption and engagement and education that's very much where the I would say customer success side of initiatives you know come from when we do onboard someone who's purchased our headspace for work enterprise solution so but to your point yes you know we put together a rollout plan and of course, we have to partner with these organizations and how in which and the ways in which they roll out communication to their employees. And so we work with them to design a plan and a launch. And a lot of times um, we have found that organizations tend to really be open to rolling something like this out or maybe already have it in their mind as an initiative they want to do for um, a particular time, for example, World Mental Health Day that's coming mm. up on October 10th. This is a great time to be talking about mental health. And when you have these days or times where we take time to recognize a portion of how this can be beneficial to people, I think people see um, a nice value in doing that simultaneously. And so long story short, it's customizable. Of course, we do... Um, you know, emails and newsletters and mm -hmm, webinars mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. Um, but it's it's very much um, the partnership with the specific organization we're working with. Yeah. Well, I think it's, as I said before at the top, especially in sales, I know corporate-wide, but in sales, yeah, salespeople need to do a better job of paying attention to it just bit by bit. You know, we're seeing on LinkedIn and other forums where now people are, you know, quite frankly, having the, the courage to sort of stand up and, and tell their stories. Yes. And we just need more of that, but also provide more resources for people. And I think this is to the example I gave before is, you know, I think, I believe, firmly believe that, that any sizable sales organization, maybe a hundred sellers or 200 sellers, I don't know the exact number is, at least on outsource basis, you should have access to that type of mental health support because it is in sales is I and mean, all jobs are stressful, but this is extremely stressful work. And we compound about what's going on today. And we expect people to be at their best when they've got kids at home and all these other things that are going on, fear of getting sick. And we don't provide any support for them. And Definitely. again, this is such a stressful role. You know, managers, if you're listening, there are resources like Headspace and others, but pay attention to your people because you know a they find it extremely hard to talk about and that's why i applaud the people who do speak about it like richard harris who talks about it online linkedin a lot and yeah. you know this should be part of the standard package at all times not just during a pandemic for i said sales organizations of a certain size and for smaller ones you know, they're you know on-demand resources and so on it's just gotta make sure people understand that's available and to take advantage of it. And that's not, you know, not, they're not looked down on for wanting to do that. Absolutely. I think that 
you know, just how we look at acquiring another sales tool to help our sales people be more efficient from a metrics standard, we have mm-hmm. to be looking at that this is a human being and what else more can we be giving to this person that's not so tactical that's going to put this person in the best place to succeed. And I think that the challenge right now is uh, twofold. And you touched on this, but just want to highlight the fact that there's a lot of education and learning that still needs to happen first. And then of course, you know, in conjunction with that, there needs to be access to these type of resources. And those are the two biggest barriers that we're trying to provide people. And I think just meditation and mindfulness um, in relation to workplaces in general is the conversations that, you know, we're having. And, you know, leaders now more than ever have a responsibility to address and support people in these areas, but they don't necessarily know how, right? Which is the education part that we're solving for. And then the access is like, okay, well, what are the resources? And so that's part of it. But it definitely starts with the conversation, awareness, right? And the education and and building the access. Well, I think part of it requires, you know, culture changes in many organizations from yeah, you know, oftentimes in sales is you know any sign of weakness is like blood in the water for sharks, and mm. you're looked at as being less than. And yeah, I know that's not exclusively in sales, but you know that's <laughs> what we're talking about here is. And yeah, you know, as leaders, you have to make that change. You know, you have to make it available to your your people. These resources available to your people. You have to be in a position to have. Uh, these conversations where people feel empowered to be vulnerable about what's going on and help them. Absolutely. And that goes back to, you know, what we really just talked about, which I would love to expand on is that the responsibility of the leader, this is a time more so than ever, that if you're in a manager or leadership position, that you're probably having conversations with yourself in the mirror, hopefully that you've never had before and asking Mm, and challenging yourself. Yes. In a way where, um, you have to do different things to put yourself in a way where you can be supporting others to the best ability. And, you know, being open to these type of things, you know, was kind of once a choice. And now I would say it's an absolute necessity and a requirement if you're going to continue to lead people through this time. I, I agree. And I, but I think that the problem is, and you know, I've talked about this often in this this program, is that it's the way we we structure sales in most large organizations and even smaller ones but we assume that because somebody has achieved risen to the level of you know CRO or VP of sales or what mm-hmm. have you is that they are somehow magically imbued with all these qualities right that they are not just a sales expert, they're a human development expert, they're a human potential and performance expert mm-hmm. that they know how to motivate people, they know how to and that's unfair. They haven't been trained on any of that. Now, ego-wise, they may think they're really good at it, but they're not. Yeah. Right? And and you look at other performance-based organizations, and I oftentimes talk about <laughs> professional soccer because I love professional soccer, is you know, their staffs are full of specialists in various levels, aspects of performance. And you know, mental health being one of them. We're in a performance business, people. We want people to perform better is, is we need to give them the resources and we need to enable them to operate 
uh, an environment that's not driven by fear. And that's what starts at the top is, you know, leaders at the top feel they can't admit they need help. That because is a huge they'd be one. perceived to be weak. And then it filters on down the chain. Everybody's afraid to say anything because, oh, I'll be perceived to be weak or they think I don't know something. And so we, we run this whole business from a perspective of fear as opposed to having this open mindset, a growth mindset, even though people claim they have it. But you really don't have a growth mindset if you can't support people who have you know, challenges on mental health issues, oftentimes caused by stress at work. Definitely. And I think the level, I, I just think the level of fear that people have is due to their lack of awareness. And what exercises are people doing to uh, cultivate more awareness in the situation so that way we can act and respond accordingly? And also it's okay, you know, to show the emotional side. I feel like that was my I feel like that's been a superpower of, of mine in my management. And it's, I guess, one of those things like I can't help but to be uh, my authentic self if we're spending that much time together. But that mm. is something that I've gained more respect for throughout my personal and professional career development um, than anything else is just being raw and letting people know for sure when I don't know something, but I will absolutely, it's all about follow-up, right? It's like, mm -hmm. we, we can, who's supposed to know anything uh, or everything for that matter? So I think that there's a lot of different factors that come into play when we're considering like, you know, why leaders haven't necessarily, you know, made this change for themselves. And it, you'll, for sure, it's always going to be hard to steer the ship for other people if our leaders aren't invested in making those changes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here's a question for you. All right. You lived in an ashram. Yes, <laughs> I did. So, so oh, that's fascinating. So tell us about that. When, you know, what stage in your career did you do that? And where was it? And what, I'm, I'm very fascinated by that. I would be happy to elaborate on that for you. So uh, I'll back it up just a little bit because I think the context before is really important. So my first sales job was in New York City and uh, had the opportunity. It was really low paying, but like could have, you know, uncapped commission situation, but it was definitely my ticket out of Florida. So I took it and... <laughs> well, yeah. get, out of get out of Alabama. Yes, that too as well. So I felt... And what, what were you selling? So it was called single platform. They were basically the first people to put menus on the internet. So if you wanted anything other than your name, address, and phone number, and you're a restaurant or a small business, you would essentially pay single platform a subscription fee to have your information listed anywhere and you could update it whenever you wanted. And it was right place, right time. And I, it was a startup and I was one of their first, you know, sales hires. And then the company got acquired. We started hiring 10 people per month. Uh, 120 person sales floor, super duper competitive. I was a full cycle AE. They didn't have SDRs back then. I was the mm -hmm. SDR. I was the AE. I was the ma marketing manager. I was the Love customer it. success. Yes. A uh, hundred cold calls today. And I was in the top 3% consistently quarter over quarter, had the opportunity to become a part of the management team, did that for them for two years. Um, but truly, Andy, I, you know, I don't come from money. This was like the first time that I have ever made money, seen money. 
I didn't even know what to do with it, but I knew that I didn't want to go to another brunch or go like out shopping in Soho <laughs> for Saturday after Saturday. <laughs> and yes, yeah, I quickly realized, you know, that I, I was definitely searching for more. I'd also just developed a really unhealthy work-life balance, which is a whole other story. But long story short, after that trip, I basically quit my job, sold my things, had an eat, love, pray moment. Um, and went and bought a one-way ticket to Brazil. And right, uh, so why Brazil? <laughs> so funny story. I had gone to Brazil about six months prior to deciding that I was going to quit my job, plan, do my thing. Um, and I had such an adventurous friend in New York, born and raised in Manhattan, totally pushed me outside my comfort zone all the time. And, you know, she, her and I, I think we made like one of our first uh, commission checks that we were very proud of. We were both working in sales. And she said, let's close our eyes and pick a place on the map and let's go travel. Let's celebrate. And I thought, Oh God, that's so wild, but let's do it. And the place <laughs> that we picked was Brazil. And then we went to Brazil for three weeks. I came back from that particular first trip and said, wow, there is more to life. I want to explore that. If I've got money, like that's what I want to use it on. I want to live. I want to explore. I want to learn another language. Um, and then that's really what prompted the trip. So I obviously planned and planned and planned. No one saw me for like months, you know, of course, you know, Paris didn't talk to me for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. So you, you just quit your job. Yes. And hopped on a plane to Rio or Sao Paulo. That's right. Started just by off. yourself. Well, right? I started off, um, at Carnival with, uh, five of my friends okay. and we traveled together for two weeks in Brazil and then people kind of left me on my journey, which was when the deep, scary, awesome, exciting work started to happen. And I felt like there was massive transformation happening month after month after month. I was just transforming into a different person. Well, what was, what was, what was doing that? <laughs> Definitely confronting fear, death, anxiety, being overwhelmed, body issues. I mean, you name it, uh, safety, right. Being a female on my yeah. own traveling, not knowing the language, um, probably some of the biggest fears that, you know, a lot of people haven't stepped into a lot of unknown and a lot of unknown obviously causes fears, but I've really learned to actually, ex um, seek the unknown now. And it's not so scary anymore, which is why when I got back from that trip and I came back to the States, I had a moment when I was in Peru, I stayed at a meditation house in the sacred Valley for 10 days. And I thought, Oh my God, how do I feel like this all the time? What is happening here? I just made a promise when I got back to the States that I was going to really um, learn so much more about breath work, yoga, meditation, and see where it comes from. And did a ton of research. So long story short, I got back to the States and I decided New York wasn't the place for me anymore. I had just a little bit of money left. And so I went to San Francisco. And at the time, I was interviewing with different corporate companies, not feeling it at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but very passionate about this yoga, meditation, breath work. You know, San Francisco's a hot spot for a lot of different type of practices under those genres. And so, but I was really looking for a very authentic experience. And so I found this ashram called the Yoga Society of San Francisco. And I met the teacher there. His name is Briksha. And I had an overwhelming amount of emotion meeting him and just it feeling like this is the person that I want to learn from. And 
He also took a very particular interest in what I was trying to accomplish and knew. He just looked at me and knew I was doing some soul searching. And really, well, at that point, well, let me interject. Yeah, at that point, did you have a goal in mind? Well, I wanted to get my yoga teacher training. I did. I wanted to get my yoga teacher training, learn it more. Um, and then for the most part, you know, I wanted to teach. Um, that wasn't right away. It was more so I wanted to just learn it. But I love to teach. And anything that I love, I inevitably end up teaching it to other people because I'm obviously such a big advocate for things I love. But at that point, were you thinking, yeah, I'll find my way back to business at some point or to sales? But yeah, was that in the back of your mind? Or was it like, no, I'm on this journey and yeah, I don't know how it's going to turn out? So while this was all happening, I really started to love this studio in San Francisco called Ritual Hot Yoga. I ended up hanging out there all the time, becoming friends with the teachers, became really good friends with the owner, Lindsay. And uh, she learned about my background. She learned about what I am, am, am doing or trying to, to do at the current time. And she said, I could really use your help. Like I'm trying to grow this business. I want it to be the soul cycle of yoga. I want to grow multiple locations. Like, will you come on full time with me to be a business development manager and open a couple locations and I'll sponsor your yoga certification. You can teach and do whatever journey you're doing right now. And, you know, and at the time it was, that was a easy yes for me. But when you talk about, I mean, I probably took a, 70% pay cut from what I was mm -hmm. doing in tech. So I had a completely different lifestyle change for a couple of years as well. And being in the Bay area doing the reverse. And it's really interesting to see the way that people treat you too. That's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. When you're not making money. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or when you're yeah, not working it's... in tech or talking about tech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so based on that experience then, it seems very logical that you ended up at Headspace. Very serendipitous. Uh, you know, things work out. And at the time, uh, it got to the point where, you know, I had swung the pendulum all the way, the mental health way, full-time yoga, decided it wasn't going to be me for long term. But it's such, it's obviously a part of me and a part of my life forever. Uh, I had done this self-work, right? For the last three years, traveling, learning about yoga, living in this ashram, teaching and living a completely different lifestyle, I was so eager to actually go back into the business world. Uh, it's just so interesting the way that we change, right? I was so stubborn before. And then two and a half years later, I was like, I have, I have things to give other people. I would love to go back to sales. I love sales. I love like working right. on commission and being in control of, you know, what happens and how much I get paid based off of my performance. And so I was so excited, but I was interviewing um, while I was still teaching yoga full time for like six months. And it was so interesting because some people thought that maybe I all of a sudden, you know, wouldn't be qualified to do the, a similar job as what I was doing before I was doing yoga because I took time to <laughs> do it. So, yeah, the world has changed so much in those two years. Yes. And yes, I know. And then Flexport was the company that I actually moved to LA with. So in San Francisco, found Flexport. They reached out. They loved my background. They loved the fact that I took this time off. They were looking to hire their first sales dev manager. And uh, they said that you know they were growing really fast. They're probably going to have 10 teams in the next year. And I thought, wow, this is such a great opportunity. 
And it ended up being a great fit. And so I moved down to LA to open up their LA office and run their sales dev team down here and then expanded it to uh, six other offices. And so that was wow. before Headspace. And then before Headspace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a really interesting ex- experience there. Logistics, nothing is more complicated than that. Uh, especially selling it. I definitely, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely felt like there were times though, that I was sitting in the room with some of the smartest people I have ever met in my entire lifetime. And, uh, it's great, it, great room to be in. Definitely. And it got my operations muscle super strong. So, and I have a really heavy in conjunction with sales enablement. I am very deep in data and operations and savvy in that area, which I think is mm-hmm. another super superpower. Right. Um, but Headspace had ended up actually um, reaching out to me through a mutual connection of someone I used to work with in New York eight years prior. So never underestimate your uh, network or people that you work with or the reputations that you build. Even if it's the worst experience, try to do your best job. Other people will remember you for that. Well, yeah. Well, I think I think it's fascinating. And I think that that you know, either as if you're listening to this as an individual contributor or as a hiring manager, is yeah, you know, for me the the key lesson, and I as much as possible try to do this, is is you know, bring people in who have this diversity of experiences and into your sales team. Not just don't hire guys like me who went to college and went right into sales. But yeah, people that went out and experienced something. And even if they took a break in their career, I mean, remember once hired a guy who drove a bread delivery truck. Love it. Right? Yeah. I mean, and he's had a fabulous career. He's excellent at it, uh, at sales. I mean, other, you know, people with diverse backgrounds. That's I've always wanted people who had that different perspective. I hired a lot of people from engineering into sales. People that, you know, you'd think from a you met them. You know, traditional salesperson, oh, they don't have the personality, blah, the sales DNA, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And these people just crushed it, right? Because they had these different experiences. They related to people in a different way. Customers loved them. And we just need to you know, increase our commitment to bringing more diversity into sales because it works. Yes. I mean, it's not, a, not an obligation. It, it works. You want... You know, part of the reason we perform at sort of consistently low levels in many industries and sales is there's no diversity of opinion about we should be doing it differently. That's right. Right. Everybody's operating in lockstep. Absolutely. And I think that you made a really good point when you were talking about that specifically. And I just think that, again, you know, why do we think that way? And I find myself like, how am I a unicorn that I want to build the most diverse and inclusive team? Like that is, seems to be something that like, that, that is one of my number one purposes and responsibility as a leader is to, is to do that. And I think about that every single day. And I thought about that even before, obviously, a lot of things have become awakenings for people within the last couple of months with everything that's been mm-hmm. going on. And it's so important. And that's why I love the sales development function so much it's expected that I'm not going to hire people based off their seven years of experience. Like I am looking for straight up potential character, hunger, drive, and, you know, uh, obviously a working relationship, uh, mm-hmm. a partnership. And I think about this all the time. And I, 
it, it still is obviously so surprising. You know, the, the teams that I've run have been the most diverse teams within a lot of the tech organizations that I've worked for. And I recognize that that's, that's a problem. And don't get me wrong, there's definitely so much more that I can do, that we can do to continue to build upon that. But I want to see that running through the veins of sales organizations. We're t- so guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In 20 <laughs> words or less, yes. When I saw a, um, a stat recently. Let's see. I think I have it here. 78% of people working in sales in the U.S. are white. And 61% of those are male. So, you know, you do the math, it's like, you know, white men who make up 30% of the U.S. population hold over half the sales jobs. Yes, and I bet that's even scarier when you get to the sales leadership level. But that's another conversation for another time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not surprising to me at all. I learned, but I also learned this game from men. And I have them to thank for that. However, um, again, paying it forward, I just really hope that we can empower more leaders to be focused on building diverse and inclusive things and giving access to the opportunities to people of color and to women. And uh-huh. that should be a priority. And I think it's, but also there needs to be a lot of partnership from organizations, right? I think that some organizations that are scaling really quickly, like we used to have hiring deadlines, right? When we were scaling at one of the organizations I was at, that right. was, and, and what do you do when you're in that kind of position when you want to wait, you know, for, you know, a diverse set of candidates to be able to make this decision, but you know, then you're on these deadlines and not your whole existence as a manager is tied to that in some sort of way. Like there has to be alignment that that's not the right way to approach hiring. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, Alex, we've run out of time, but it's been great speaking with you. Yes. Thank you so much. This was a great chat. So uh, how can people connect with you if they want to learn more about your story and what you're doing at Headspace? The best way to connect with me, stay connected with me, is on LinkedIn. And I'm trying to grow my uh, professional network on there. So I, of course, would love to hear from you, comments, DM, or if you have any fun projects that you're looking for, or you want to talk a little bit more about mental health or how um, you can even talk about your own or your workplace, I'd be happy to support. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Alex, thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Alex Smith, for sharing her insights and her journey with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing. Well, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.
Hey, sales strategists! At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.